Welcome to Hulse Fidelity, episode 10. Tonight, we step into the immersive world of Something for Kate, an iconic Australian band, especially for me. Originating from the vibrant music scene of Melbourne in the mid-1990s, Something for Kate emerged as a force to be reckoned with, fusing raw emotion, poetic lyricism, and distinctive musical style that resonated deeply with audiences. Comprising vocalist and guitarist Paul Dempsey, drummer Clint Hindman, and bassist Stephanie Ashworth, Something for Kate's musical prowess and profound songwriting quickly captured the hearts of listeners, propelling them into the spotlight of the alternative rock genre. Their discography is a testament to their artistic evolution. Each release from the early introspective tones of Elsewhere for Eight Minutes to the depths explored in Echolalia and the official fiction to the more recent evolutions showcased in Leave Your Soul to Science and Beyond demonstrates their musical versatility and unwavering commitment to push creative boundaries. Join us as we unravel our top fives for Something for Kate, exploring the stories behind their songs, the evolution of their sound and the enduring impact they've had on us. Now, tonight, my special guest will be debuting, and this man loves something for Kate, and surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, Ballpark Music from our last episode as well. Welcome, Jace, or as I call him, Reaper. Evening, Holsh. How you going, mate? I'm very well, mate. Thanks for getting on the show. I know you're a busy man. I I hate to think how many messages we've sent back and forth in YouTube (laughs) clips and so forth over the last fortnight with something for Kate and Paul Dempsey, but... It's been so much fun diving, like for me in particular, like I know you listen to them a lot and I assume on the old Spotify Unwrapped it, they probably ranked pretty highly. Would that be fair to say? Or That is fair to say. We might say that there was something for Kate at the most played song for the year, mate, and <laughs> I think something for Kate were number two on the artists and Paul Dempsey was number Five, so probably combine those two and they take it number one quite easily. Uh, yeah. But closely followed by ballpark music, mate. Before we dive into too much, one question that I want to ask right from the get-go is what would you call something for Kate's musical genre? Now, the reason I say this is they came out in 95 and in my eyes they always put into that alt-rock circle. But I've read aspects where people have said, one quote, you know how the Saints are credited with pioneering punk in Australia almost completely by accident. That is something for Kate with emo. Emo? (laughs) Emo. Now, I've never, ever considered them as emo, and it's never even crossed my mind. But I actually, I saw it in this one article, and that's where I got that quote from, and then I also noticed it on Reddit that someone mentioned it as an emo band, and I just wondered if you ever had that thought. Mate, never thought of them as emo. Paul's <laughs> lyrics, definitely emotive in his voice, but, mate, not emo genre. Like, they're not. 
we're not your fallout boys. You're not your my chemical romance type of type of band. Were you there right from the get go? I'm assuming you were. Like I started to really delve into that music in the mid late 90s. Like I started my working career then. I just wanted to tell, listen to a lot more music. I guess it was a time too when Triple J sort of started mm. playing in Bundy. Yeah, but I mean, like, like that time to me was just like a golden time for Australian music. Like you had your silver chairs, Powder Finger, UMI, Gurge, Spider Bait, Jabadai, Gurge, mate, Magic Dirt, Body Jar, an awesome time. But yeah, that Triple J thing sort of exposed me to Elsewhere for eight minutes because that came out around that same time. I've got to say, it was Paul's voice just hooked me in straight away. Hey, like it, it's a polarizing voice, especially in that early stuff. Um, I guess you either love it. Or you hate it. I mean, my wife hates it. Um, my daughter, it's not such of a fan, but that's all right. They, <laughs> they, can have their, they can have their opinion. Yeah, but he has got that. Yeah. He's got a voice that you can pick it a mile away, which is that's very, it. very cool. I mean, like that guitar stuff early on, that was just very pickable as well. Like as we, as you were saying before, you, like you put them in the old rock genre, like that really early on there, they were just heavy guitar, drum based and you could hear that sound like, yeah, that's something for Kate. Like they did start out on the punk scene in Melbourne, which was, I mean... It's it's not surprising you, you say that because I only read just earlier today that Dempsey's all-time favourite band is Fugazi, which is a punk rock yeah, band. Mate, you know, I'm a live music junkie, and I'm going to say it's when I saw them live at Livid in 99 that they just really cemented their spot with me. Like, I, I was there to see other bands, but I think I walked away that night just like, yep, that was my performance of the day. Just still sticks on my mind from that. I think and they won like a I lot of hearts that. with their live live performances. Yeah. In the, the past 20 years since all those albums mm-hmm. have, have unfolded, they've... Obviously, like they've still got his signature voice, etc., but their sound has changed quite a bit. Do you want to sort of just expand on maybe why that's the case over the last yeah, decade and a bit? Yeah, they've definitely evolved, eh? Hey? You touched on that early stuff. Yeah, that's a good description of all the sound. Like it's just guitar and drum, that. And it's like a monotone, like guitar sound. Yes, um, yes. good. I like like I've, heard, I've heard Paul say recently, like when I've been listening to a few interviews as well but he's like yeah early on it's that monotone like these days there's more access to all the tricks and tech that he loves which can change that sound up but i mean like we talked about his vocals like his vocals have evolved over time like early on he took up the vocals because they couldn't find a singer he had no intentions of being a singer in that band (laughs) really that's yeah yeah okay yeah so he taught himself to sing and he's like he's admitted he just screamed his way through those early early tracks like elsewhere for eight minutes, like even before that, the LPs, he was, it's that scream, scream voice, but like his vocals have just grown so dramatically over the years. Like he, back in those early days, mate, he would not have hit the notes that he could hit now. Like it's, he's covered Florence doing Sweet Nothing. Like he's, the yeah. notes he's hitting in that. But really, the, I think the big thing for me is when Steph came into the band. Yeah. Um, so when, when was that? Was that after Elsewhere or was that before Elsewhere? Yeah, no, no, that was after Elsewhere. So, like, she's their third bass player. So, like, Julian Carroll was the bass player from day one, but he left after they recorded Elsewhere for eight minutes. Like, he just had personal stuff going on. He's like, sorry, I, I just can't do her. I can't do this anymore. He went and moved out to the country. So they tried to get Steph then. She had a contract with the band she was in at the time, Sandpit. So, she said no. Yeah. Uh, so they had Toby Ralph join them then. That just didn't work. So like a year later, she joined after that elsewhere for eight minutes. So she was on the recording and the writing for Beautiful Sharks from there onwards. Yeah, and I think just the dynamic change when she joined the band. Yeah, she's an incredible um, bass player to watch her on some oh, of the live um, performances. Yeah, yeah, it is really evident with those later albums that 
there's a lot more studio polish and a lot more yeah. layers with their with their production and you know i i think the way that they have changed has been really good for their fan base because obviously you can't maintain that same sound for 25 years and and expect everyone just to keep purchasing no, it so it, you know, it was refreshing yeah. you're gonna have I, I think it's great because to have such a contrast between the the two decades is really oh, nice from sure. a band's perspective you know we were doing we talked about radiohead like that they had got about six Oh, contrasting goodness. eras in their career, whereas you know this one's yeah. sort of more. I feel like it's more split into the, the the start and the and the and the last decade with something for Kate. But man, I love it yeah. all. Yeah, like they've they've come out. They like they consciously say like they're trying to evolve their sound. They like they know what they did on the last job and they they don't want to repeat that. Like they want to grow, to like challenge themselves. Yeah, you mentioned that Paul had some mental issues after like around 2010 was it and it had a fair influence on how the latter records came out yeah yeah so like they did they well they signed to murmur and that was around the time that silver chair were just like starting to fly and they were on that album so they did they did five albums with murmur and at the end of that like after desert lights yep. like he just had a nervous breakdown and he had to take a two-year mental health break saying like he lost his mind and he just had to start reassembling it like he finds it hard to relate to the person before like before that desert lights time to how he is now like it comes across in his lyrics like he's he's a real introspective person just the way he writes he's always said like the music is quite easy for him it's it's the lyrics that's really tough for him you know that's hard to to believe because his lyrics are incredible so the name something for kate where did yeah. that come from Mate, this is like a Weezer story. When Julian joined them, so the first bass player, they came up with Fish of the Day. So when they got their first gig, which I think was back in 94, I'm going to say, in Melbourne, they went to book, they were talking to the venue, like, oh, yeah, so Dan, yep, Fish of the Day. And I'm like, no, we can't advertise that name. <laughs> so like on the spot, Paul's like, oh, crap. Anyway, he's, he's at home. He looks, I think he must have been in the kitchen or something. So he looks at his shopping list and there's a note there to say, get something for Kate and Kate was his dog. So yeah, the name, he's just come with that up off the cuff there at time. And it, yeah, that's just stuck ever since. Wow. That's incredible. Like I'm sure yes. everyone in the, on the planet that hasn't heard that would just assume it's some human lady, but yeah. Okay. So something yeah, for no. his dog. Okay. Well, before we jump into our top fives now, Paul Dempsey's got a few solo albums that he's released as well. I know there were some quite early in the piece, but then in 2009, I think, and onwards, he's had two sort of more major releases. And I think he also had a cover album. Is yep. that right? So I thought if yeah. you could just run us through, you know, your top five, we don't want to spend too much time on it, but your top five Dempsey right. solo tracks. So what have you got there? Yeah, You'll find my top fives heavily put towards that first one, Everything is True, which was 2009. Right. His um, second one was Strange Loop in 2016. My number five, Ramona was a waitress off Everything is True, like fourth song off the album there. Yeah. One of the singles he released off that. So, yeah, that, that one's in there at number five. Yeah. 
catchy tune. Number four. My four is theme from Nice Guy. Okay. So I'm not sure if you're too familiar with this one at all. Not at um, all. Listening to the album, not a big draw card to me, but seeing him live and quite a few solo gigs, he tends to finish his sets with this song. And it's just a massive crowd sing along. I can't sing for crap, but there's like a la da 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 moment at the end that just keeps over and over and like the crowd just hammers in on that. Number three, mate, is Fast Friends. Oh, yes. I think it's his piss take on social media. Yeah, like just the fickle friendship on that. Yeah, I've got so many friends. Oh. Um, it's just so quick to get so many friends. Like there's a there's a couple of lines in that song. He's like, oh, yeah, the fastest of friends, I'm sure we'll all be. The fastest of friends, the fastest of friends, I'm sure we will remain. Hey, hey. Number two, this might come as a surprise, Jim, mate. Out the airlock is my number two. Out the airlock, uh, my boy. Yeah, what a song. What a song. Yeah, look, I, I'll just mention with this one, this one, Out the Airlock, is particularly special for me. So when I first met my wife, Kate, back in around that 2009 period, we were actually living 1,300 kilometres apart and talking on the phone and all the rest of it. We were sharing a song once every few days with each other and putting it into a playlist. And this was one of the songs that I shared with her in the very initial stages. Even to this yeah. day, Kate thinks that she shared it with me, but she's wrong. Okay, <laughs> she's wrong. It was me, but it's such a beautiful track, mate. And, you know, his voice in this is a lot more, I think like you said before, how it's evolved, it's a lot more sort of soothing and calm through it and yep. it's very yep, different sure. from the the Something for Kate tracks in that, that first yeah. seven or eight years. So, yeah, and even that guitar, just that, that oh. riff over and over again through that song, like straight from the start, that just that just got me in. Gets the chain 
tells you Then she tells you She tells you Yeah, it's a magic song. Magic. Uh, cracking song was my number one song for a long time. Until what Until came along? Year. Until this year when I saw him at the Trifford and he did Idiot Oracle off Strange Loop. And just the version that night, and that just hit with me. And I gave it a massive listen again after that. Yeah, that's now my number one pulled empty solo song. I've listened to it a few times this week, and I will say every time I've listened, it's it's grown on me more. Yeah, I guess it's a classic something for Kate Formula. Like live is is the format to really fall in love with them. Yeah. Okay. Well, should we dive in? Let's go, mate. Here we go. go. Now, I am actually super happy. I, I say this with most of my episodes, but I'm really happy with my five. Now, I know both of us have discussed, and we don't know our order, but we we know our fives. But Correct. it's safe to say we've had a lot of movement over the last few weeks. Oh, and, yes, you know, we, sure. it's it happens. You, you, you listen to songs that you may have heard, but when you sort of take your time a little bit more critical, it really, like, you find these little aspects to it that, that lift it than when you listen to it 10 years ago or, or what, whatever. So I will start with my number five, which is... Number five, Pinstripe. It's on their first, their debut album, Elsewhere, for eight minutes in 1997. This was a track that really only snuck in over the last week. I have a feeling it could keep building and move up this ladder a bit more over the coming year. So, Mm -hmm. as I said, it's on that debut album, but there's also an acoustic version on Phantom Limbs, which came out in on the same year on top of that i'm going to stay straight away there is a version on youtube that's in sydney 2009 it's and it's through the channel mosh cam i think you can validate that this version is exceptional and it is paul dempsey solo but this is the song that i mentioned earlier that is in my five on the back of the lyrics the way he executes those lyrics on that particular version so anyone out there that wants to give this song a try, I strongly recommend that you listen to this Mosh Cam version, Sydney 2009 of Pinstripe. But essentially, look, it's a it's a grungy rock number when it first came out. And to be fair, it had no real radio appeal, chorus, no hook, and not really. And, and the song's popularity has really come through its passionate lyrics and its intense 
live performances. That's that's what's it's turned it into this cult song. I honestly think in the initial days it, it was kind of overlooked a bit as a, as a gem, and it's just grown in stature as time's gone on. Whilst I love that studio version, and I think I actually like that almost on par now with with both. But for new listeners, I, I still recommend maybe go listen to that Mosh Cam version first because the use of the acoustic instrumentation it really it provides a a perfect backdrop for Dempsey to you know truly stand out in this yeah, like right. it's a simplified setting. The song itself sort of is saying simplify your life. I could be wrong here, and like you said, it was, <laughs> who knows with these lyrics? But it's I can, it. I can give you my theories as well, mate. When you yeah, well, I feel like it's almost like just simplify your life and and just find the the true wonder and beauty that's that's around you right now, rather than being on this constant search for more. You know, I know myself. Like often, we're so focused on on something that we want that's, you know, in reaching distance and you put all your efforts into that that you forget what's actually right there. I don't know, this song, the lyrics and the way Dempsey executes it, I, I just love it how it, it just ebbs along with these little pauses and my favourite lyrics in it is, not much time has passed but already she likes concrete better than grass. Better than grass. And yep. I don't think we'll last, you know, straight away. Like that just to me feels like he's got a partner that wants to move into the city and be part of the fast life and and all the rest of it and, you know, make things happen. And the other line that I was just going to reference is, you're the last day of April every year, mm-hmm. um, which – apparently is a reference to the old calendar when April had 31 days, but now only has 30. So it's a reference to something that's lost that you can never get back. So happy when I saw that come into your list. Like it's a great early track and like definitely one of the longer tracks too. eh? Like like it's over six minutes, isn't it? Yeah, I think it just ticks over six. So now let's let's roll over to you, mate, for your number five. Over to me? Yeah, mate. Mate, you've gone early. I'm going to go late. So I'm kicking off my five with Deep Sea Divers. Yes. Um, so not off their last album, but it's off the 2012 album, Leave Your, Leave Your Souls to Science. I mean, so that was their first album since 2006, so six-year break there, and that incorporated that mental health battle that we were talking about earlier. 
So, I mean, it's, it's the new Paul on this one. And I guess since that as well, he'd also released his first solo album. To me, this isn't a typical something for Kate track. I would agree with that. Um, but it is probably like, because like, as we touched on, like he's well known for those introspective emotive lyrics. But this one's like a literal song. He's, he's gone to say this is like the most literal song he has ever written. This one's about the neighbourhood in Brooklyn and the characters. So like Steph and Paul lived there for two years between the albums. They went overseas. Yep. Um, I'm guessing probably something to try and help with that mental health issue. Yep. We should probably yeah. just explain to all the listeners there that Steph is the bassist. So Paul and Steph actually were got married and, okay. and they've had a kid children? since, haven't they? Two kids. Two kids, there you go. Yeah. So, so, yeah, just to put it in perspective, so, yeah, they're together at this stage and living in New York. They are together at this stage, and I guess probably we haven't touched on that either. So, like, Clint's Paul's best friend from high school, and I guess these days Clint and Steph are best friends. I guess even in this song, like, there's a character, Yolanda, in that song. I'll reference some lyrics there. It's like, then Yolanda asks if they've got any change. Well, that's exactly what he, what she said yesterday. So he's, like, talking about this transsexual that lives in their neighbourhood that he saw every day on his trip past a subway stop there. But I guess the big twist on this thing, like he's he's set the lyrics about the neighbourhood they lived in, but he's gone and put that then into an undersea setting, I guess, hence the title Deep Sea Divers. So it's just really different to any typical something for Kate track. And the other big thing that got me in on that one is the guest vocals by Sarah Jaffe. Yes, I was going to mention that if you didn't. <laughs> No, no, it's de- like that was one of the killer things that got me on that. She kicks in on the chorus, and then from that point, like on the first listen, just makes that track just stand out. That I swear I overhear somebody say, Well, the sky in here looks so blue today. She's a friend of Paul's. She's an indie singer-songwriter from Texas. Her, her backing vocals on that just, to me, make that song. Like, it's taken everything back to basics. They recorded that one live, but just Paul and his guitar. I'm pretty sure it's the only something for Kate song that has an accordion on it. Oh, um, yes. Like it's, it, it's subtle in there, but like it, it adds to the feel of that song. And I love his lyrics. That, like, that final line, if I could only kill the time that truly deserves to die, then so will I. If I could kill only the time that truly deserves to die Oh, when I've killed only the time that truly deserves to die So will I I know, 
I feel it could be talking about not wasting time on conventionalism and like being open to change. I think it's a great pick. As you said, it's a little bit more diverse from the rest of the catalogue. So I, I think it's a, I think it's one a lot of listeners will be able to pick up and run with really easily. Yeah, and I think it's one people probably wouldn't look at. It's going to be on your Spotify playlist now and hopefully people will fall in love with it. I'm sure plenty will, mate. Number four. Okay, number four from the album Beautiful Sharks in 1999. And Beautiful Sharks, I will just mention, is my favourite Something for Kate album. So I am I am, I, I am someone that really loves that wall of sound, that wall guitar yeah, yeah. and the drums back in the day. Similar to what you said, there was it was a special time in my life with – all the the music and the great artists that were showing their face, my exposure to Triple J, my exposure to live music, everything was happening with music around that era. To this day, like, I think that wall of guitar sound is a little bit rare. I I know there's still a lot of guitar bands, et cetera, around, but that particular sound around that era that they had – it was it was very different to a lot of the grunge bands, and it, I just thought when you said monotone before, I actually really liked that as as a feeling with theirs because I was like, I don't really know how to describe them. Are they earthy? Are they you know a little bit rough? But you know that monotone sound actually works well. And and this song that I have at number four is called Hallways. This one I just track what a track. It's an incredible track, and I love the driving beat right from the get-go right through the song. It's a song that's propelled along largely by Clint's drum and cymbal work. and But then the movement of the song, conversely, is driven by Steph's bass line. And I think Steph's bass is just so important through all that early era. Guitar, you know, it still has that initial early rougher tone that was characteristic of those those particular albums around the time. And I've got a quote here from Paul, and he says, This song, it's a lot about the gap, just remembering it's called Hallways, it's a lot about yeah. the gap between what you are doing and what you could be doing. Some people will get off their asses and try to work at something, and some of us will stand around in hallways talking about it. We literally wrote it in about five minutes then sat about laughing because in its initial form, it was just this incredibly Sacherine pop song and Sacherine meaning excessively sweet or sentimental pop song. When I read that quote from Paul, that the part that really resonates for me is the bridge where Dempsey has like a, a muted voice and they use this, this mm. muted type style with his voice Definitely. a few times in, in songs through this, this section. The lyrics say... They bow their heads to pray for Friday night. So th- we're talking about these people at, at work doing shit all, you know, gossiping, hanging around. So they bow their heads to pray for Friday night. It feels like, you know, they're, they're pretending to work 
waiting, you know, yeah. basically you hit the piss on Friday after work. The next save line. Save their lives, mate. Save their lives. And there, so to save their lives and then is the next line. And then the next line after that is they go on through life armed with a scale from one to ten. So, you know, very judgmental people, gossiping, yeah. just worried about everyone but themselves. The lyrics in this one are really awesome and to have that context I think helps for the listeners if if you give this one a go. Yeah, like you said, it's that classic early something for Kate sound that just punches and hits you, hey. I mean, like his vocal too, like you mentioned, it's so good on that track. Like he's starting to increase that range. I think his classic sounds like that gravelly tone he has to his voice and that's throughout that song. For sure. Okay, mate, you're number four. We're number four? We're going to get completely different to Hallways, mate. Um, my number four off my current favourite album, The Official Fiction, is Light at the End of the Tunnel. Yeah, I really want you to break this one down. I really like this song when I, you yeah, presented mate. it to me. It's really it's acoustic and calm. When I heard it, I was like, I need some interpretation on what this song's about. Yeah, mate. Yeah, before we get into the deep interpretation, like I'll put it out there. Like I am a sucker for piano and strings. In the song, this one ticks all the boxes. I think I've heard you on previous ones, like you do love the use of other instruments on a song that you wouldn't normally associate with the band. Yeah, and I think the use of that piano and strings on this song just adds to the depth and the feeling of this song. Like, it's a really deep song, when I, the way I interpret it anyway, mate. This song, to me, it evokes uh, a profound sense of sadness to me, and I just love songs that make me feel an emotion no matter what type of emotion that is. Yeah, so, like, the song starts off, it's just acoustic guitar, guitar and keys, and, like, Paul singing in that reserved, soulful fashion just to match the feeling of that song. Like, you haven't even started. You're going to have to find the words to put on a page. 
to me, this song is, this, this is before he took that break for like his nervous breakdown, depression period he had there, but retrospectively looking at this and like the deep dive I went in over the last few weeks, to me, I'm just like, fuck, this is Paul just putting it out there like, hey, I've got things going on. Yeah, so that first verse to me is like you've hit rock bottom, you're contemplating, like you just can't go on. Like you move past there and then like the string, so there's like cello and violin on this one. Love my strings. They kick in around that, yeah, they kick in around that 50-second mark and they just really add some gravity to the topic being addressed on this song, or the topic that I think is being addressed. So like the chorus of the song, then like, like I think it's continuing with that battle but things can't possibly get any worse. And is there any hope out there? Like he's asking there, is there any light? Is there light at the end of this tunnel? finishes with like some sense of determination like i get that determination from him that he's not going to succumb to this not going to give up the line at the end of that chorus is like if the only thing to do now is just start running for the light at the end of this tunnel the backing vocals kick in at that point right and to me i'm just thinking like that signifies to me that hey you shouldn't be trying to do this alone in hard times Uh, like that yeah you should be reaching out to your mates you should have on there supporting you interpretations of the listener and that's how that song hits with me. Then when I'm in that mindset, like I'm thinking about mates I know that have battled the demons. They're still here today. Um, I'm just like, fuck, this has to be hard for Paul to put that all out there mm-hmm. with his own mental health issues he's had. Like it just hits me really hard in the, like in the feelings with this song. If it is, like if your interpretation is along the same lines of as what Paul intended, then, you know, him putting this out there, Yes, it might have been hard to put it out there, but I bet you it was a, a great assistance to him in the long run. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, full respect there. Very nice pick. Very nice, mate. Number three. All right. So my number three comes from 2006. Now, I'm going to say right there, 2006 is the most recent song in my five. Yeah. And and it's not that I don't love their, their later albums because their later albums – I actually really enjoy, really enjoy them. And I think they're, they're quite accessible for new listeners as well. They've got some magic songs on there, and I had some that just missed my five. But this is my most recent song, and the song is called Cigarettes and Suitcases from Desert Light in 2006. And the, the funny thing for me is I can't believe this song is 17 years old. To me, it was always like, oh, this is this is something for Kate's newer stuff. <laughs> so even when I'm doing this list, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll put cigarettes in suitcases, even though, you know, it's just come out. <laughs> but it is 17 years old. It's, it's the new stuff. <laughs> but I hope she likes your old stuff better than your new stuff. That's exactly it in this instance anyway. But, you know, this song actually grabbed me as soon as they released it because I think they released it before the album – Desert Lights yeah, came out. It's, and it's one, it's one of the singles. Yeah, it is one of the singles. But 
man, I, I enjoyed it right from the get-go. Just to me, it feels like this is like the real start of their transition to, you know, trying more layered sound and more pop sensibilities, bit more radio friendly, a lot more studio polish. But having said that, like, I love every aspect of this track, the verses, the pre-chorus, the chorus, the outro. I, I just feel like it's a really complete package and how they've done it. And it just never feels like there's a, a section of lull. The entire part of this song is really interesting. In this song, Paul's voice is exemplary. Like, he, he goes into the falsettos at different times, varies in tone, but mm. but once again, like, he just nails it. It's, it's pitch perfect for what's required at different parts of the song. Maybe, maybe nothing could prepare you But something and that someday always comes And the only thing around worth hanging on to Is your love with a twisted symmetry demanding it be done This way People believe it has something to to do with record companies ripping ripping them off and manipulating them, and you know some parts of it sort of do maybe put it that way. I actually couldn't really tell, so I, I haven't dug too deep into it. But one aspect that's pretty interesting is at the end of the track in the outro, he repeatedly says, "Now that you're on your own," and on the end of one of those lines, he says, "Silver." And someone out there suggested that it was actually a reference to the Lone Ranger. So in potentially Silver is like the record company. So, you know, the band's transport at the time, but now they've ditched him. And, you know, so something for Kate is now the Lone Ranger just going on with it. So, you know, when they, they do put little bits in like that, you just wonder, and obviously it's probably nothing to do with that, but uh, who knows? Well, well, mate, I don't know. It's their last album with Murmur, so they could be onto something there. They might be complete BS, so don't don't yeah. don't quote me on that one, everyone. <laughs> no, but as Paul says, his lyrics can be interpreted in many, many ways. Yeah. Okay, mate, well, that's my three. Shooting over to three. you, your first podium finish. So my number three is Situation Room, which is off their latest release, The Modern Medieval. I do like yeah, this so track. Like it. Yeah, it's a, oh, man, it's a banger. So I guess between releases, like it was eight years before we got another Something for Kate album after we had Leave Your Soul to Science. We had some solo stuff between there, but eight years between Something for Kate, that's, that's a long time for a band that you love. The cool thing with this one, like we talked about Steph being a big influence on the, that change of sound and the growth of Something for Kate. 
but she wrote the music for this track and then Paul put the lyrics to it. And well, that's the way Paul usually works. Like he'll get the music down and he'll put the lyrics. Okay, so that was unusual um, for Steph to write the music. Like Paul, yeah, yeah. was prominently yeah, yeah. the the guy that uh, did that. Or like like early days, Paul just I won't call him a control freak, but like, there was no one else in the band. Like Paul did everything, and I think that was part of the reason as to why they had that. I guess those issues in the early early years. Like Paul just felt that pressure so much. Like he was doing, he was putting the music, the songs together. And I guess when Steph, Clint, and Paul got together, it was like a release to him. He's like, oh, I can trust these guys. It's a collaborative effort. Let's do this thing. Like he was having troubles after elsewhere for eight minutes and he went overseas. He went to Ireland. He was calling it writer's block. He just couldn't come up with stuff. So he went over to Ireland and he wrote the bulk of Beautiful Sharks over there. But he left a, a track back. And like Clinton, Steph got a hold of that, and they had Paul in the studio just on the tape, and they they actually wrote a song, and I think that just hit with Paul. He's like, "Oh, cool, we we can work together. It's just, it's a collaborative thing." So I, I think it's like it was a big change. Like Steph just doing the music for that one, and then Paul putting the lyrics over the top of it. song is like like it's trying to control things that you can't surrendering in that moment and trying to take a positive out of a negative okay like there's a sh- there's a shitload of juxtapositions in that song like if you go through those lyrics on the song like the opening line i keep on finding things i wasn't looking for it's just someone that's just trying to plan ahead he's trying to cover everything that there is sounds a bit yeah. like me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You got that good connection. I think that might be why you got that connection there with something for Kate. Like it, it just highlights Paul's great lyricism. I just love it. Hey, like I know you love a good ending to a song. I do. Yeah, this one ticks that box, mate. Hey, like my favourite part of that song after the bridge, Clint's drum and Steph's bass just drop out. It's just Paul and his guitar and like his vocals too. Like you talked about that effect they put on. Like it's just that dull to me tinny effect. Then the chorus it just starts to build again and then it just finishes with that help heartfelt belting out the chorus like it's just Paul's classic voice. Looking for- 
at chorus. It's just timeless. It feels simple, but just so perfect. Number two. Okay, now this one is probably, I don't know, probably for people out there that know something for Kate well, this would probably be a bit more of a surprise, I guess, uh, especially for the casual fan. So number two for me is Photograph, which is the the closer on Beautiful Sharks, again, in 1999. Like Pinstripe, I I don't think this one is going to be for everyone. It's, It's very subdued. And it's it's not hook laden, but it's got this really cool melancholy guitar riff that kicks it off, and the first verse is sung by that same what I I refer to as muffled Paul Dempsey voice yeah. or muted. Yeah, that's, that's, you know what I mean. <laughs> Then at, at one minute and eight seconds, it's not that I think it's a bit over four minutes long, but just after the one minute mark, there's a, there's this eerie synthesizer. I don't know how to describe it, like warping sound that comes in, yep. and it, it appears before Paul's voice comes in at full volume. Then and so it, you know his voice is back to how we expect it to hear, and it, it just gets that power because of how it was muted previously and then at 131 mm. a drum pulse starts beating in mm-hmm. now this track for me is actually whereas like pinstripe and and hallways was very like i was big on the lyrics in that one this one for me is actually more about the real full music scape that it gives me and i was just gonna say it's like a real atmospheric sound on that one it is it is and yeah about two minutes 18 the music that sees it out, it has like these these chimes, extra layers of guitar. It's it's very contemplative. Every time I hear it, it just makes me feel really content. It just, especially in the headphones for this one. So this song, 
I think like I think it could be as simple as talking about memories and just how important they are when life is a real struggle. Grab those memories and make sure you don't lose them. So you know some of the lyric, the my favorite lyrics that consider it in that way is take a photograph to remind you of the things you know you will one day forget. Take a side effect as a measure of your progress. Progress. Yeah, mate. And that take a photograph to happen to hold, like that's how he closes that song. It's just, yeah. i got to say, it's probably not their classic sound, but it's just so awesome. I love it. You're too, big big man. Number two, drum roll, mate. Drum Silver metal. Because oh, I, I know you're two you got left, and I'm now I'm... Yeah, mate. I'm, this, I'm is gonna, this is going to tell me what your number one is. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm there, Hosh. I'm thinking you think what I know what a number two is, but my number two is electricity. Ooh, okay. It's probably going to be a surprise. I think that's going to surprise you. Yeah, that did surprise me. I thought it, this it this might have been you. your number one. I thought this might have been your number one. Okay. Number two, mate. Electricity. Yeah. Fucking um, love this track. Go ahead. Yeah, what a, tra- what a track. Yeah. So it's off Beautiful Shark. So it's, it's early. It's only for Kate Days. What a cracking live track that is. I think you can... It's immense. <laughs> you can agree that. But yeah. the track, the energy from the band and the crowd during that track when it's live, that is just so good. Like, it was hard not to be number one, but we'll get to my number one later. Look, if, if, um, I, was, if I was picking my top five live, something for Kate Tracks, this would be number one. That's how, that's yeah, how much five, I love it live. Yeah, yeah. But, mate, like, the guitar intro... It's just unmistakable. Like that, you just know this is something for Kate. And then the level of that song it just raises around that twenty-second mark. And man, you just you just know you're in for a something for Kate classic. gritty in the chorus i guess the other thing that gets me on this is like the build up to the bridge and then the finish of the song from around that 223 mark onwards like when i'm listening to this at work or i'm at home or i've got the headphones on i think people must just look at me and say what the fuck is this guy doing like my head just starts shaking i'm tapping my foot i'm just it just gets me in
it's about feeling overwhelmed and distracted by everything that's just like happening around you. Like, like the opening line of that song, I'm running here, every focus is splintered. He's just, I don't know, everything's going on. He's just distracted by shit. Yeah. Um, but he, he wants, and again, like I'm thinking, shit, has he got his mental health issues shit happening here already? Is he like wanting to be free and that he's like stuck in this rock? Like he's like, like another lyric from that song, like senses together, they move cleaner than transit will allow. And sometimes I want to move move cleaner than transit will allow to be. Well, well, I guess okay, just in an interview where he talks about it, I'm just like, fuck, he's been battling this for so long. It, I think it makes a lot more sense now that you explain that, you know, back in that period, like he was writing the music, writing the lyrics, you know, probably yeah. pulling all the arrangement together and all the rest of it. So the multitasking feeling is is very oh. explanatory yeah. and, you know, yeah. that electricity, you know, where he said, you know, the every pressure, focus is splintered. Man, yeah. I know like you and I have both been in the engineering and, you know, it's a very multitasked approach and it's so easy for that to happen in that regard. So for this guy that's yeah. that's, that's pulling the whole, making this band tick in this, this period of his yeah. life, like, man, it, there would have been a lot of pressure on him. Yeah, I mean, like they were close to breaking up. Like something for Kate may not have been after 97. Like he pulled up stumps, he went to Ireland, he, he'd had enough. Yeah, it was only while he was over in Ireland that shit freed up and he cleared that mind. But I think like the electricity reference in that song, like he just sings it over and over. I think that's like he's trying to find beauty and stuff in, in the world around him. I think that repeated repetitiveness of electricity is just like the beauty of that feeling of like he's, he's found it. And the way, anyway. the way he says it is just so passion and... Yeah, and almost a little bit angry. I don't know in, in some yeah. some of the delivery of it, and and with the guitar, you know, riff that's just just oh, continually smashing you in the yeah. back. It's I think it, I think it's it's such it's very different as well to all their catalog. Even I know it has their sounds from back then, but even when I look it's at their full down, spread, yeah. it's I, I think it's it's a very unique track and. I kind of even this afternoon I was, I sat down outside and I was listening to it, I'm like man this probably sh- should have got a look in <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it's a like- tremendous track number one here we go okay number one this has been my number one with Sun for Kate probably since I first heard them <laughs> because this song is their debut single. So elsewhere for eight minutes, 1997, Captain Million Miles an Hour. Look, this song is the wall of guitars in full effect. It's just <laughs> hits you and, and then it hits you again first. The start of this song is fucking rad. It's oh, yeah. this little guitar pluck happening with some chords being struck over the top. And then Stephanie's bass chimes in and just her bass alone makes it almost feel huge. But then Clint's drums enter and by this stage it's already fucking epic. And yep. <laughs> then, it, then it just pauses for this slightest moment and then comes back even stronger with further guitar.
Steph's bass in this song is the ball terror. It's it's the magic that holds this all together and drives it the entire way. Paul's voice is bang on the entire journey and it just it continues to get more passionate as the song progresses. The song itself feels to me like it's a it's and once again this is one that I'm definitely not certain on but feels to me like a song about someone reminiscing about a really tough childhood and how he made model planes in his basement. And the reason I say basement, I'll get to in a second. And this was his form of letting his mind escape from life. He got to pretend that he was in this plane and and taken off and, you know, going anywhere but where he is right now. Yeah. Yeah. So the basement caller said, so the lyric, the voices from upstairs, I only heard my crew preparing me for takeoff. Love it. And so from there, the voices from upstairs, this is just how I've interpreted it. I haven't read anything about this, but it makes me think that maybe it's like a a domestic violence scenario, like the mum and dad upstairs are like, you know, abused, like there's abuse. This is just how I've read it because, you know, the voices from upstairs and he's just wanting to shut that out. He doesn't want to hear his mum getting hurt or whatever it is. You know, it could be something completely different. It's obviously something that's traumatic to this this person. Um, And he's shutting out that noise and, you know, listening to his pretend air crew. Just has to get out of there, and this is this was his only way when he was younger. So, the, my favorite lyrics is when he says, "And it's just a model built with plastic and with glue." But every day I go down to the airport and I fly away from I fly away from you. You know, when we do we do these fives, like, and I, you know, this was my favorite song of theirs, and but you always still question it. You think, 
you know, is there something that I never gave a chance to ever take this song? But yeah. every time I hear it, I just think, no, nah, this is, you know, this is the one that really hits me hard and I yeah. I just crave it. it. It's all like I've always had it I've, in my lists of all time. It's always been there or thereabouts and, uh, mate, it's just an epic track that, that amps me up. So that's my number one. What a song. I was pretty confident that was your number one. You even sent me a message saying, hands off this one. Um, <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Number Let's one, mate. It. Number one. Um, my number one. It's out there. It's left field. It's not something that I think is on high rotation for something. It's for people that don't know something for Kate. And it'll probably make more sense when we go through my interpretation and meaning for me. But it's off Echolalia. Song number six, it is You Only Hide. I don't know, I didn't go and look into it deeply, but I think it's probably one of their songs with the least number of lyrics. There's only three chords for the most of it. It's so simple. It just amazes me how a song that's it's got so few lyrics, it's got such a simple structure, but it just hits me so hard, mate. I love how music can hit you in the feels, and I also love a song how it can instantly take you back to a certain moment in time, and this song is like top three all time for doing that for me. I guess I'll give the background to it. Like when Echo Lalia came out, I was living in Bundy, and I was working and working away at the time at the sunny coast. And I was also in a long distance relationship with my now wife, Ro. So like, we've got that long distance thing in common, you and Kate, me and Ro. Yeah. And I listened to this album so heavily during that time and just loved it. But, you know, I was always drawn to this song. And like, there was even a certain road trip back to Bundy where I may have just had this song on repeat for the whole trip. Wow. Like I, I have a habit of smashing a favourite song on repeat when I'm into it. And Classic Paul, probably a few ways you can interpret this track, depending on what the mood you're in, and especially with me. I guess it's an isolated interpretation of this song, and it's a, it's just a particular line in that song that I, I hang on to, and it was probably in that drive. And my, that line is, you only hide because you know I'll find you. in his voice when he sings that especially live yeah it just oh man it's killer so when ro and i were doing that long distance relationship thing there was just times when i was just feeling so frustrated about the distance how i was missing her so much and just just wanted to be there with her and like i'd chuck this song on probably not the best song to put on <laughs> for a relationship yeah because when I get into this, like, probably the main interpretation I take for this song, it's, yeah, it shouldn't be there for a love song. But it's the last line of that song, and I'd, I'd hang on to it. And, like, I'd take that as, like, the one you love might not be right there, like, not in front of you right now. Mm-hmm. But they weren't somewhere that you'd never see again, and, like, you'd be together in the end. Yeah, that, that, that music and lyrics, they just, 
combined so perfectly for me. I just love the song. It's yeah, it's my number one. It's my favourite something for Kate song. And if I can ask a favour, mate, I'd love you to play the live version of Phantom Limbs for that song. It's just Paul, the acoustic guitar, and it just doesn't get any better for me. Consider it done.
All right. That is such a great track, mate, and a great version. So a terrific number one. And hopefully everyone out there will, will add this to the official playlist as well so everyone can listen yeah. to all 10 of those tracks. Now, before we head off, we mentioned earlier that Paul and Paul Solo and Something for Kate have performed a number of covers, probably more than your average yeah, band, <laughs> probably uh, more than any band right. that's, yeah. Yeah. I was getting two or three covers sent through to me from YouTube every day from Reaper. I reckon we would have been closing in on 30 plus different covers and there was there's more out there so many more out there yeah so we sort of pulled together a 10 each and then i pulled my weight a little bit and and got (laughs) got one of mine that i want to talk about (laughs) but i think we both agree that the five we have here is like without a doubt five amazing covers that people out there should go and Try because obviously with the something for Kate sound or in the case of Paul Dempsey the stripped back acoustic version, but then his voice yeah. is is going to change these songs. So our number five now this is the one I pulled my weight with, but yeah. it is a cheap trick cover. So the song was originally re- released in 1982, and the song is called "If You Want My Love." This was recorded for Triple J Like a Version back in 2008. And Lindsay, the Dr. McDougal, was pulled up to, to help him out. So number four, we've got a song, a Prince song, that was made famous by Sinead O'Connor, and it's called Nothing Compares... Any more different. (laughs) A Prince song made famous by Sinead O'Connor, sung by Paul Dempsey. And yeah, so this song is Nothing Compares to You. Uh, Originally, it was a number one in Australia and different parts of the world. And you want to give your take on this one, mate? Oh, mate, so many people have covered this song. It's a great song, and I I jumped over you, but, yeah, like it's just so different to the original, and I keep going on about his voice and how it's developed over the years, but his voice on this, to me in particular, like the breaking of it at points on this time, like it would be a deliberate breaking just to hit that point home, but I think it's his his voice on this one, like the raw emotion in it. Like if you didn't know it was a Prince song, you would not pick that as a Prince song. Mm. Um, and when you see this one live and it's just Paul and acoustic guitar, it's just something special. 
can't stop these lonely tears from falling Tell me, baby, where did I go wrong? I could throw my arms around every boy I see But they'd only remind me Number three is Sweet Nothing. So it's a song that was released in 2012 by Calvin Harris with Florence and the Machine on the vocals, and it's another Triple J. vocals. Yeah. So what do you reckon with this one, mate? Like, again, like it's, it's something you would not pick, something for Kate and Paul Dempsey for doing. Like, it was a club, club anthem. And I know Paul said, like, he did not – know this song before he covered it and that just freaks me out that he does not know this song and he does this to it and i guess too like on this one like he did an interview with lisa smith like on triple j they do like that first times segment on a friday and this was the first time that he actually felt nervous about doing a like a version he was he was worried about hitting he was worried about hitting those notes from florence like when he covers a song he doesn't change the key. Yeah. Like he doesn't want to change the key. He wants to respect the original artist and keep it in that key. Yep. And mate, he was worried he wasn't going to hit that those notes. Like Florence, what a vocalist she is. Yeah, she's and incredible. And like it's it's early in the morning and I know he said like on the run throughs he did not sing. He did not want to risk breaking his voice on hitting those notes. And mate, on that version, oh man, he killed it. Number two, this was my top pick in the end after a lot of toing and froing. And this comes from the Phantom Limbs album. And it is a cover of a Portland band in the US from 1995. And the song is called Truly. So a lot of people probably haven't heard of Hazel because I jumped on and on Spotify, like, they're amount of plays is something 
that you equivalent to like uh, a local band yeah, sort of thing. Like it's, it's not much, mate. Yeah, they're not well known. No, they're not well known, and and you know they came out at a time where they they were a '90s US grunge alt rock band as well. And but yeah, Sun for Kate took this song on not long after as well. It was it was you know I think yeah I think I think it's probably one of the first songs they actually covered to be honest. Yeah, and I'm probably wrong, but I think it is the first song that they covered on an album and live. Yeah, so you know when people hear this song, they may not actually know the song. So my, all our other selections, everyone's going to know the music and they'll be able to compare yeah, it. Big, but with, big artists. Yeah. yeah, but what is really special about this one is that they it has become a live staple of theirs. It's an absolute cult yeah. favourite with with something for Kate fans. Can have the pleasure of announcing number one because you know what it is. Go yeah, for it. I got, I got my way on this one, mate. Thank you for that. <laughs> that was my, that was my sweetener on the deal, so I could get what I yeah, wanted. It was, it was a sweetener. <laughs> that was as of this afternoon. Yeah. I was down the beach doing a patrol. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, mate? Mate, this is going to be way left field from everyone, and I will say this was my number one played song on Spotify this year. Probably because this year was a like a version of all time vote on Triple J. It is Cardigan by Taylor Swift. Tay Tay. Like you said earlier, mate, what he does to a female song and the way he sings it, so, so good. Vintage tea, brand new phone, high heels on, cobblestones. When you are young, they assume you know nothing. We better wrap things up. We've been uh, having a good chin wag tonight. Okay, mate. Well, thank you so much for coming on board and being part of the Hulsh Fidelity experience. You know, things are really starting to take off. It's really exciting. So I appreciate you being part of it. 
Uh, let's see if we can get something for Kate to comment like ballpark music, didn't they? <laughs> Mate, I'd love down the track if we got to interview Paul or, or Steph or Clint. Uh, that'd be huge. Yeah. So, that'd be who knows? Who knows? But Thank you, everyone else, as well, for listening. Make sure that you subscribe and follow the podcast and also join our Facebook group, Holst Fidelity, where we'll keep you updated with everything. Apart from that, I really, really hope you enjoyed the playlist. Thank you very much.